0: All right, so I'm excited to share this little story with you. You've heard it a thousand times before, and honestly, I've probably shared it with you a few times. I know I have, because it came up on my notes. But this is different because I saw something in this story that is so important for us to understand and to get if we're going to be about using this great and glorious gospel and using our lives as ministers of reconciliation. If you have your Bible, go to Luke chapter 8. If you don't have your Bible, pull up this passage on your phone because I want to show you something so profound. Luke chapter 8, starting at verse 40. You know this story because there's a leader in the church whose daughter is dying. She's 12 years old, and he, he kind of grabs on Jesus and says, hey, come heal my, my daughter. And while he's on the way to heal the daughter, a lady who has been bleeding for 12 years comes up to him and says, hey, would you heal me again? And the good news is he heals both of them. But what I hadn't seen in this story before and what I think is so important for the church is that there are some power dynamics at play in this story that Jesus needs to level out. And the reality is, is that these power dynamics are at play in our world. And if we're honest, in our lives that we need to be a part of leveling out as well. In John chapter 13, just before Jesus goes to the cross, he's having dinner with his disciples, the Last Supper. And it says in John 13, 5, that Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything. That means that at this moment, Jesus knew that he had all the power in the world. That he could do anything, ask anything, said anything, and it would be done. Because he's not just the most powerful person in the room, but now he's the most powerful person in the universe. The rest of John 13 says that he took that power... And with it, he went and washed the feet of the disciples who in that moment were powerless. The powerful helped the powerless. A little bit earlier, some of Jesus' disciples had been jockeying for position. They said, hey, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, I want to be the guy at your right and your left. They were looking for those positions of power. And Jesus rebukes them, and he said, it's not going to be that way with you. In fact, we're going to do things upside down. Because in my kingdom, the ones who have the most influence are the powerless. And here in this story... Jesus plays out this same dynamic, not just as a statement, but as an act. And I believe he's doing it so that we can follow the same actions that we who have power and influence can use that power and influence to help those who do not have power and influence and are suffering greatly because of it. This story is about many things, but one of them is that it's a story about justice because there are some who do and there's some who don't. And Jesus says, I don't care about those silly little power games you play on earth. In my kingdom, we're all the same. And we value humility and we value servanthood because there's only one who is really powerful. So the story starts with a very privileged person. We read in verse 40, on the other side of the lake, the crowds welcomed Jesus. Why were the crowds there? Because Jesus was a rock star. They'd given him all kinds of influence and all kinds of power. It said that they had been waiting for him. Quite possibly, they would be wait, been waiting for him longer than many of our society wait for the stores to open on Black Friday, right? They were setting up camp. It had been a long time because they wanted to get close to the person of power. There was a big crowd around him, and in this crowd were all kinds of people. There were those who had and those who didn't. There were different ethnic groups and races. There were men and women. They were all gathered around Jesus because they wanted a piece of this powerful man. Verse 41. Then a man named Jarius, a leader in the local synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come home with him. His only daughter, who was about 12 years old, was dying. When we hear this story, those of us who are parents, our heart starts to break a little bit because this man is living our worst fear. His daughter is dying. She's not going to make it. And we focus on that part of the story. And so we should. There's a lot of compassion and sympathy and understanding that that we need to get from that. But what's interesting is that around Jesus, there's this huge crowd of people who have need. But it just so happens that the one who gets Jesus' attention first, the one that sets the direction for the next few hours of Jesus' life, is someone who's the top of the power chart in this society. It says he's a leader in The synagogue. That means that everybody looked to him for influence and direction. Everybody wanted to to be around him. And I can almost imagine this scene kind of like the Red Sea. Everyone's kind of, uh, you know, fussing because they got their own need. And this guy comes up and because he's a leader, because he's a powerful person, the crowd kind of parts and this powerful man gets to Jesus. Now, a lot of people would criticize him for that. I don't think we should and I don't think we can Because I think in this moment, he's just a grieving father who needs some help to his son. But in that crowd, there were probably lots of other grieving people. But he gets to the front because he's a man who has some power. Probably in their society, in our society. If you have a little bit of influence or power, you get to skip the line. Last week, we had a couple in church. Uh, they're getting married. Julie um, has been with us uh, a few times. She serves a lot in Haiti. And she's marrying a guy from England who is in the SAS, which means he's a pretty tough guy. And he's got a little bit of celebrity in England. He's his own TV show and do, doing all this stuff. And uh, he's a British guy, and one of the things that he did after leaving the SAS, uh, the, Brit- the British version of the Marines, was they became a bodyguard to some famous people, Brad Pitt, Russell Crowe, Angelina Jolie. And so we went out to lunch afterwards because I'm helping them with their wedding, and we were sharing stories about uh, how we came to the country and how we came to the country legally. And so I told him about some of my, 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 my struggle to get a visa initially and then, um, I won't say having, but choosing <laughs> to marry Tracy for a million reasons, but one of which was that was able to help with the immigration process. And then that 10-year journey and then the money and the paperwork and all that to get citizenship. I said, how was it for you? He said, well, I was working for Brad Pitt, so it took a couple of weeks. <laughs> <laughs> because... In our society, if you've got power or influence or fame, you go to the front of the line. There's this, uh, the, the, this short story that Mark Twain told called uh, The Million Pound Banknote. I don't know if you've heard about it, but it's the story of a guy who's coming over from America to England and uh, his ship crashes and somewhere he makes it to the shore in England with absolutely nothing. And these two very wealthy brothers find him and they decide that they're going to have a little bit of fun with his life, a bet at his expense. And they say, We're going to give you a million pound banknote. There's only two in existence in this story. And if you bring that back to us within two weeks, we'll give you $20,000. So the story continues that this man has this uh, million-dollar banknote. But really, for all intents and purposes, it's pretty worthless because no one can cash it. But for two weeks, without spending a penny, he lives the high life because people think he's powerful. The first night, he goes into a restaurant, eats the finest food. And he goes to pay and he offers them the million dollar note and they say, oh, we we can't take this, we can't change it. Have this meal on us. And the same thing happens over and over again at stores, at restaurants, and all this kind of stuff. Not because he has power, but because people think he has power. There is incredible privilege that our society gives to those that we think have power. And so there's this man who is a leader in the community. And in the midst of all kinds of needs, he gets to the front of the line. We can't criticize him because his need is real. But he gets Jesus' attention and they go on their way to see his daughter, And then they come across another person. This person is not like that person. Because this person has power and our society longs to listen and to follow. Those have power, but she is powerless. And she is in a struggle and she's really struggling. There are a number of reasons why this lady is powerless first of all it's because she's a lady and in the society women were very much second class citizens she had limited rights and roles and responsibilities being a woman would have pushed her to the back of the line as this powerful man comes forward secondly she would have been powerless because of her health She'd been bleeding for 12 years. Because of her sickness, she had this stigma of sin attached. Man, if you got those kind of health problems, then God must have cursed you. And if God's cursed you, then you don't have any room in our society. She was powerless because of her gender. She was powerless because of her health. With every passing year, she fell down that pecking order of power that society has. She was powerless because she was broke. The scripture said that she spent all of her money trying to get well on this doctor after that doctor, and none of them worked, and all that happened was that it left her bankrupt. You know, there's nothing worse than going to the doctor with a problem, and them saying, let me try this, and here's the bill for it, and let me try that, and here's the bill for it, and let's maybe experiment with this, it must have felt to her like the doctors were guessing, right? Alan and I were talking this morning, we both had car problems recently, right? And we both have mechanics who are guessing at the problem. <laughs> and the problem is that with every guess that they have, it costs us greatly. This lady had been living under doctors who'd been guessing at her problem. And it left her broke and that economic reality left her powerless. Her emotional state would have left her powerless. With each failed attempt to get well, hope would have drained from her. And so Jesus and the crowd is following this real need from a powerful person. But on the midst of that journey, a powerless person joins the crowd And I think the next few verses talk about how Jesus helps the plight of the powerless and gives us insight as to how we can help the plight of the powerless. They're all walking together to try and heal and see if Jesus will do a miracle with this 12-year-old girl. This powerful man is grieving and there's this powerless woman who somehow despite all the odds, pushes herself to the front of the crowd, and she's she's reaching out to Jesus, but she can't quite get there, and she touches the hem of his garment, the little prayer tassel. And in that moment, as she touches the tassel, she receives healing. Because Jesus' healing power doesn't discriminate against those who have and those who don't. She has enough faith. That Jesus, the object of our faith, is just touched by her and she's beautifully healed. And I'm sure for her, it would have been great if that was the end of the story. That she could just slip off with her healing and go back to her life. But Jesus doesn't let her. Because Jesus, as he loves us, Wants to make an example of her that restores her to society and gives us instruction as to how we are to help the powerless. So she touches his garment, and Jesus said, Hey, someone touched me. I felt the power leave. And the disciples say, Jesus, what are you talking about? Someone touched me. Who was it? I felt the power leave. Well, the disciples quickly said, well, it it wasn't me. We're in a busy crowd. It could have been anyone. It's interesting and worth noting that in this situation, even the disciples, those who had been with Jesus for a few years, still didn't have any time for the powerless because they didn't even notice this lady. But verse 46, Jesus notices it. Jesus said, someone deliberately touched me for I felt the healing power go out from me. What, what Jesus is doing here is stopping because he wants to acknowledge that something had happened. He wanted to acknowledge one who had been powerless. She was healed Physically, and he wanted to heal her emotionally. So, sometimes, if we want to help the powerless, if we want to empower the powerless, the first thing that we need to do is just to acknowledge them. Because every person needs to be acknowledged. I was in Chicago a couple of weeks ago, and man, they got a serious homeless problem. Everywhere you went, there were were homeless people. And I I hated it, and I hated it for a, a number of reasons, but as I was reflecting on the trip, somewhere very, very soon, probably coming on the train from the airport, I realized my strategy is going to be to look away, to not look eyes, look at their eyes, and pretend they're not there. Because they were, they were everywhere. And I share that as an act of confession, because what I was trying to do was to say, I cannot acknowledge you because I don't know what to do with you. I don't have enough money, enough time, enough resources to help you. So I'm not even going to acknowledge you. And while I'm embarrassed by that, I'm in good company because the disciples did it as well. But I'm absolutely wrong because Jesus stopped and acknowledged this lady. He wanted to restore her, and to restore her, he had to acknowledge her. He looked at her and listened to her and gave her back her dignity by stopping her, he said, "You are someone special." She had a couple of weeks ago when George uh, was here that I've learned this little phrase when I was in Chicago as well from some teaching, four letters, four most important letters in the alphabet, "I see in you." right? It's a joke. It's not really an English lesson, right? We don't acknowledge the powerless, but Jesus looks at this lady and says, I see in you something different. I see someone of worth, someone of value, someone who matters a lot, even though society has disregarded you. The first thing that we must do as children of God, is to acknowledge those who are not acknowledged. Verse 47, when a woman realized that she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble and fell to her knees in front of him. The second thing that we must do if we want to help the powerless is that we must prevent hiddenness. We must prevent hiddenness. See, there's a ton of people around. This lady could have kind of dropped down a little bit and, and maybe snuck away. She was trying to hide for a while. But when Jesus calls her out, when Jesus acknowledges her, she realized that she can't stay hidden anymore. And honestly, I believe that she realized that she didn't need to stay hidden anymore, as well. We try to hide the powerless. Even worse than that, sometimes, I think when we feel vulnerable and we feel powerless, we try to hide. And when we try to hide, we can't get the healing and the restoration that we need. I was talking with someone the other day about the influence of social media. And someone was lauding it because it gives power to the powerless. Maybe it does but it allows people to hide. And nothing good happens to us when we're hiding. So this lady can't hide anymore. And Jesus says, who, who was it? Come, come on out. And she walked towards him. It says she was trembling. Why? Because she was feeling vulnerable. When we come out of hiding, we feel vulnerable, Right? But sometimes we've got to to, to feel vulnerable in order to get the healing that we need. She knelt, maybe in respect, maybe in gratitude, maybe just because her knees were too weak to hold her. Jesus loved her enough not to let her hide. If we want to help people, not only do we need to acknowledge them, we have to love them enough so that they don't choose to hide. We believe the lie that when we hide, in our hiding places, we're in safe places. But that's not true. This lady wasn't safe until she was out in the open before Jesus. We cannot hide, we should not hide before Jesus. Nobody is unnoticed before Jesus. He looks at her, he loves her. He doesn't have any shame that he wants to send her away. We have a power breakdown. How do we address that? We acknowledge those that no one wants to acknowledge. We expose lovingly. Those who want to hide. Thirdly. We listen to the stories of the powerless. This is what it says. The whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him. And that she had been immediately healed. Some versions of the scripture simply say she told the crowd her story. She told the crowd her story. My guess is initially there were lots of people in the crowd who didn't want to listen, but Jesus listened. And when Jesus listened, others had to listen as well. She told about her pain. She told about her sickness. She told about her past. She probably told them some things that they didn't want to hear, but she shared her story. And there was something incredible that happened in sharing her story. Not just did people have sympathy, not just did they see her differently as a person, but they started to restore her back to society. Why? I believe it was because they realized that they had a story as well. You know, I serve on the Commission of Homelessness and the Faith Committee uh, downtown. And a couple of years ago, they did this really, really neat thing. They took a video and they went and spent uh, a couple of hours with several homeless guys and just filmed their story. and we got to watch these tapes that were kind of condensed into a 2 minute video there was folks with masters degrees and rocket scientists there were husbands who had it all but lost it all there were orphans and widows Every single one of them had a story. And as we heard their story, they aren't just this problem to solve. They became people to love. If we want to help those who are powerless, we've got to get good at listening to stories. Why? Lots of, lots of reasons, lots of psychological reasons. But perhaps the main one is listed in Revelation. It says, we overcome by the blood of the Lamb. We overcome by Jesus. But we overcome by the word of our testimony. The word of our testimony is our story. And as we tell our story and understand our story, and as we see that people have a story, we start to overcome you're someone really powerful, someone really powerless. Jesus says, Hey, this dynamic isn't going to work in my kingdom. How, how do we make it go like this? We acknowledge them, we don't let them hide, we listen to their stories so that they and we can be healed comprehensively. Jesus listens to her story. The details, the pain, the struggle. Then in 48, he responds to her story and he says, daughter. Man, that is a powerful word right there. He's saying, you're part of my family. You're loved by me. You are someone. You you have a home. He said to her, your faith, Has made you well, go in peace. Go in peace. There there had been all kinds of emotions that this lady had felt over the last 12 years, but peace probably wasn't one of them. And as she experiences this this physical healing, so she experiences this, this spiritual healing as well. She is healed comprehensively, she's restored society she's given a standing she's affirmed she's acknowledged she's listened to you know the rest of the story Jesus goes on and he heals the powerful person's daughter as well there's nothing wrong with the powerful Jesus doesn't uh, ignore the powerful that's not the, the the message the The message is Jesus doesn't care about our power plays. But we live in a world where there are lots of power plays. And one of the roles of the church, one of the roles of the people of God, is to love the powerless to empower them so that they can have the dignity and respect and grace and feel the love that God equally has for them as he does the powerful. One story to close. Anyone heard of Tony Campolo? He was a preacher back in the day. One of his famous stories is uh, when he was in Hawaii doing some, I don't know, research or speaking or something. And because of the time change, it's 3 o'clock in the morning, and he can't sleep. He's a little bit hungry. So he goes out into uh, town, and the only place that's open is a bar. And so he goes into the bar, and he gets a donut and a drink. And as he's sitting eating, a bunch of prostitutes come in. He's this powerful doctor doing some research on a speaking tour, and a bunch of people that have been used and abused all night come in at 3 o'clock in the morning. And he says it felt awkward. There was this weird dynamic going on because I'm, I, I'm here and I'm struggling because, because on the social scale, they're down there. And so he kind of hurries to finish his, his drink and his donut. And he hears these prostitutes talking. And one of them, a lady called Agnes, says it's her birthday the next day. She's going to be 39. And the ladies leave. And he speaks and talks to the barman. He says, hey, do these ladies come in here a lot? Yeah, every night when they finish work. This is where they gather around around 3 a.m. He says, How about me and you throw a birthday potty for Agnes tomorrow? And Obama is like, what are, what are you, crazy? He says, No, come on, let's do it. So the next day, he buys some streamers, buys some cake. Word travels quickly around the, the prostitute grapevine. And so everyone's there at 2.45 apart from Agnes. And at 3 o'clock, Agnes comes in. And all her prostitute friends and Dr. Tony Campolo (laughs) shout, happy birthday! And this powerless lady, for the first time in her life, feels genuinely loved. And the powerful have helped the powerless. They have the little party at the end about 4 o'clock in the morning. Tony Campolo says, hey, can we say a little prayer together? And so Tony Campolo and these prostitutes hold hands in a little prayer circle. When he tells a story now, he says, I'm grateful. This was before social media. They say this little prayer and the ladies go back to their home and the barman pulls them aside and says, I, I, I had no idea you were religious. Because, because people who are religious like you, they don't want anything to do with that. What, what church do you go to? He says, I'm just here in visiting. The guy said, if there was a church that helped people like that, that's the kind of church that I would want to be a part of. Why? Because he was seeing this gospel command that we who are powerful, often not because of anything we've done, earned, or deserved, need to help the powerless. So Jesus says, acknowledge them when no one else does. Hear their story when no one else wants to listen. Love them when no one else wants to love. Because that's how the kingdom of heaven comes on earth. We get this incredible privilege of being reconcilers. And that comes often as we use whatever influence we have to help those who don't. When we use whatever power we have to help those that our society calls the powerless.